Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on, and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free, or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Give a like, share it with someone if you dig it. We're going to talk Patriots today. And as I record this, I am still licking my wounds, as I'm sure you all are too, from the Patriots. Just kind of dreadful 18 to 12 loss to the Broncos. But it's still an exciting time to talk Patriots because what the hell else are we going to talk about? There's nothing to do when we're all holed up inside and the Patriots are just barely sputtering along with all this COVID stuff. But it's still fun and we're going to talk a little Patriots and Patriots history. I have a gentleman on the line who has written not one but two books about the Patriots. He's a Pats historian. His name's Bob Hilberg. Welcome to the show. All right. right. You know, now this is the, okay. As you can imagine, that's fake crowd sound, but now fake crowd sound is just part of our world, right? How do you feel? Some of the reporters that go to the games and have to report about it. It's really eerie. They still have the third down horn. You know, there's like seven people and, yeah, five cheerleaders and a couple of guys shooting the guns, and they're on the, the bridge over where the uh, light. Is. Yep. Yeah, I I think it's not bad considering what they had to work with. At times during the game yesterday, it sounded like a regular game, and as long as you don't focus on the empty stands, but man, it's weird. Do you think it's affecting the play at all in the NFL? Oh, absolutely, it has to. Yep. How so? I mean, the, the Patriots, I've been to hundreds of games. Uh, actually, for 13 years, I worked as a photographer and was outside taking about 1,000 pictures for all the home games from 2005 to 2018. And some of the crowd wouldn't get into it until the Patriots actually did something. So we yeah. had the, the, the red seats kind of the crowd that like, all right. And then you get the people that are really diehard fans. But when the Patriots started to do things and Gronk and the playoffs, you could see the environment and everyone just going completely crazy, especially when we had rivalries over Peyton Manning and that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the, the guys feed off it. I mean, I've talked to so many players. You, you're putting on a performance for the people in the stands. They don't relate that it's on TV or you can't hear it, but. You know, you do something and the crowd either boos or doesn't react or expects reacts differently than what you thought. You go back into the huddle and home field is a huge factor. I mean, the 12th man with Seattle and all that type of thing. 
I think it does affect your performance because some of these guys think it's just a practice. It's like an exhibition. Yeah, since I've been going to Patriots games, it it is what's part of the game. I think it's even a bigger part of the game, or I should say was, in the old stadium, which to me just, it was a piece of crap stadium, but it sounded a lot louder than the, the cleaned up version that we have now, which I can't complain. It's a beautiful stadium, but did you used to go back in the old days of the the concrete and aluminum? Oh, I go back to Fenway Park. I went to a couple games at Fenway Park. I never went to a hockey game. But, yeah, we used to go all the time. And I lived in Rainham, so it wasn't that far to get a bus, uh, a bunch of guys together from a club or something. We rent a bus for 20 bucks, throw in sandwiches and a keg of beer, and off we go. (laughs) That's a full day to me. And that's uh, your – a man after my own heart because I grew up in Sharon and my folks had season tickets from when the, the stadium opened. So I think the, the first games I probably went to were probably around 1977. So I don't go back to Babe Perilli or even to Jim Plunkett, but I definitely go back to Steve Grogan. So Bob's new book is called Relive Patriots History. And I take it we can find it where fine books are sold. Uh, it's being printed as we speak. Oh. Uh, it should be on Amazon later in the month. We're printing a lot of copies, and you can get it from me. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Bob the Statman, or see me on social media and that type of thing. But you know, if you want an autographed copy, but yeah, it'll be out in about two weeks. All right, I'm excited. Relive Patriots history. We'll talk a little bit more about the book and Bob as the, as far as I'm concerned, the most renowned Patriots historian, probably because he's on my podcast, but. Before we get there, oh, and by the way, a little later, we're going to play a game of Wicked Smart where we're going to quiz Bob and maybe I'll sort of quiz myself on Patriots uniform numbers. So that'll be cool. But before we do that, let's start. Let's start with burning questions where Bob will have to field some questions about the Pats. Here it is. Let's do this. Just one more thing. I have a riddle for you. Answer the question. In no particular order, some questions for you, Bob. Okay. Do you miss anything about the old stadium, the aforementioned old Foxborough slash Sullivan slash Schaefer stadium? Not much, really. I mean, that was, you didn't really enjoy much going to the game. Most of the times you went to the game, you went to watch the other team play. If the Patriots <laughs> did anything right, you'd always look for a flag and say, oh, they're bringing it back. They're bringing it back. So you never really went with the expectation that we were going to win or even play well, even when they had Grogan and Stanley Morgan and Russ Francis, mm. uh, they had some talented guys. I mean, 76 was, was a great year and 78 and 85 when they uh, won the three playoff games on the road. But most of the time you went to see whoever it was, uh, Namath or Terry Bradshaw or Roman Gabriel or whoever it was, Joe Montana, yep. uh, two or three games a year. And you had no expectations. And, you didn't care that you parked your car in, in a mud puddle and you had to walk a half a mile and and people were you know losing their lunch and then seats behind you. But you could bring in flasks and <laughs> there was a lot less security back then. So if you needed to uh, keep hydrated, you didn't have to go in line. Right? Yeah, there were there were fights. There were fights in the stadium too. It was a much rougher place than it is now because when the team stinks, you have to amuse yourself. There were all kinds of snowball fights. And, and others that we would have, there'd be one guy in our section had binoculars and you'd always use the binoculars not to watch the game, but either to watch the cheerleaders or the fights in the stands because that was, that was entertainment. Let's see. 
Other other than Adam Vinatieri and Steven Guskowski, who's your favorite Patriots kicker of all time? Well, I got two. Uh, one is uh, Mike Superfoot Walker, oh. who uh, actually won a a contest, a radio contest held by Eddie Elderman and the Sports Huddle. Mm-hmm. He was a twenty-year-old bricklayer from England that won a, a contest and came over here and kicked for the Patriots for two games, and he got hurt. But he ended up staying here and marrying here and finding wow. his wife and living here his whole life. But he's a guy that came out of nowhere. Steve Zabel was a linebacker, mm-hmm. and there was a time that Steve Grogan scored his 12th rushing touchdown mm-hmm. and set an NFL record. Mm-hmm. So Steve Zabel, when he realized that Steve Grogan had just set a record, he ran onto the field and kicked John Smith off and said, I'm kicking this extra point. And John Smith said, what? He's get out of here. And Steve Zabel kicked an extra point just to get in the record book. I had no uh, idea about that one. That's a good one. That's a good but, one. Uh, that I mean, that reminds me of the – I mean, much more recent history when Doug Flutie kicked the, did the drop kick, the most recent drop sure. kick, and maybe the only drop kick in the span of about forty years or something. But yeah, I remember Zabel's name, but I didn't know we read on it did that. Yeah, the, that was back when there were you could get away with stuff like that. What's the most memorable live game you've ever attended for the Pats, or your your favorite memory of seeing a game live? Well, probably when they came back and beat the Baltimore Ravens being down two touchdowns mm-hmm. twice on the trick pass. The and double pass. Touchdown. Yeah. The double pass. But to be down two touchdowns and then come back and then be down two touchdowns again and come back, the place was electric. And Baltimore had to beat us before. The Ravens had played pretty well, and they played pretty well on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having them – Destroy the Jets and the Colts and Peyton Manning and those kind of games. But that that game was incredible back and forth. So you weren't at the snow game? Or were you? I was not at the snow game. Yeah. But I was at the game that they talked about yesterday on Twitter. The, the 59 to nothing wipeout of the Tennessee Titans in October 18th, 2009. That was pretty incredible. It's mid-October and we got snow and Tennessee didn't even want to be there. And it was, I think they had four touchdowns in the fourth, second quarter or something like that. It was yeah, insane. that was crazy. I remember being in an airport on the way back from Las Vegas watching that, and it, was, it wasn't just a little snow either. There was a ton of snow <laughs> that day, yeah. and yeah. to score that many points in the snow was ridiculous. What's, can you think of your favorite Patriots season that did not end in a Super Bowl win? I think the 76 team, I was talking about that to friends the other day. I mean, they were loaded. They had everyone there, and they had beaten the Oakland Raiders 48-17 to Mm. during the regular season. And the interesting thing about that is that that was the only loss that the Raiders had in the regular season. Mm. And the story I heard is that Fred Bolitnikoff and Ken Stable missed the team bus leaving the hotel. Mm. to go to the game so they got a cab and they took the cab for a certain distance and they got stuck on route one so they got out of the cab and they were walking through the parking lot to get to the locker room and because the patriots had only won three games the year before they were like this team stinks three and eleven we're the best team in the league so they had a few beverages so to speak but they tried to get to the locker room they were half in the buzz Mm. uh and they get into the game and of course we with Daryl Stingley and Russ Francis and Marlon Briscoe and Brogan, 
We ended up smoking them 48 to 17. And then we go out there and play them because they only had one loss and we had three. A couple of mistakes that we made. Actually, Russ Francis threw uh, a pass in that playoff game. What is Russ Francis throwing a pass? And of course, they get intercepted, and that was a key turnover in the game. Wow. Uh, and that was, the, that was, of course, the game that for all intents and purposes ended with the roughing the pass roughing the passer call or I should say that's what rescued the Raiders and a lot of people think that Patriots team would have won the Super Bowl and but you know you stick around long enough for a fan as a fan and you get rewarded and it was 20 I think it was 25 years to the week or at least to the month when the the snow game occurred against the same Raiders and we had the benefit of what was the correct call, but the the tuck rule. Let's fa- let's face it; it was it's kind of a, a sketchy. I was in the stadium that day, and everyone in the stadium knew it was a fumble or presumed it was a fumble. And when the referee reversed it, it was like it was like the the heavens had opened and the and the sports gods had finally granted one in favor of the the Patriots. Let's see who is your who's your favorite Pat's special teamer special. How would you say that special teams expert? Of all time. Uh, well, I've got a couple. Mosey Tupu was was a big fan favorite. He'd be in the middle of it. I mean, Matthew Slater, you could see what he's done. But Mosey got the crowd going. And he was always a guy that either forced a fumble or recovered a fumble. The other guy that is pretty obscure that a lot of people remember is a guy named Bob Gladio. Mm. Uh, so the Patriots have an opening game in 1970 at Harvard Stadium. And Bob Gladio was cut two days beforehand. Mm-hmm. But they said, stick around. You played with us last year. You never know. And about two hours before the game, they cut a guy off the, the team because he didn't want to sign his contract. They said, if you don't sign your contract, then you've got to clean out your locker. Mm-hmm. So the owner of the team, Billy Sullivan, gets on the intercom in Harvard Stadium and says, uh, if Bob Gladjo's in the stands, which he was, <laughs> and he was half in the bag because he'd been drinking for three days and <laughs> – and his pregame meal was Schlitz beer and port wine and a few hot dogs. <laughs> He's in the stands and he gets the call uh, over the intercom. Please report to the locker room. He goes down to the locker room. They said, you're replacing John Charles, who we just cut. Get out there and puts on a uniform and makes the tackle on the opening kickoff. Oh, my God. I, I didn't know that. That's great. This is, this is what you and, get when you, when you talk to the Pats historian. And, again, Bob's book, Relive, Relive Patriots History. Couple more. two more years. Yeah, that, yeah well, that's, that's our version of Vince Papil, the invincible guy from the Eagles, I guess, huh? practically. Right. Let's see. Who's your, who is the worst quarterback in Patriots history? There are a lot to choose from, I actually. <laughs> We've had a few. Uh, I mean, Jeff Carlson was, was our only left-handed quarterback. Uh, he played in like three games. Tom Sherman was pathetic. Mike Talava back in the 60s was, was pretty bad. I mean, Zolak, you got to give him credit for the one game that he won the AFC Offensive Player of the Week when he beat the Colts in yeah. overtime yep. back in 92. But he had a rough game in the playoffs. He did, but we've had some we've had some tough guys that just didn't know what to do. Yeah, after Grogan and before Bledsoe arrived, there was a bunch of jokers: Mark Wilson and Mark Wilson, and Tommy Hodson, Tommy Hodson. Yeah, yeah. Hugh Our, Millen. I mean, Hugh Millen had a few games where he threw a couple of overtime game-winning touchdowns. Thrill and Hugh Millen. And Mark Wilson would probably be right in the top of my list of some of the worst in the last twenty or thirty years. Yeah. All right, 
final question for the burning question segment, and that is, who's your uh, favorite Patriots uh, running back of all time? To end on an easy one there. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to love the, the guys that are versatile. I mean, James White has been just tremendous, but Kevin Falk was, was a guy that really just did everything that was asked for him. I mean, I, I'm, I was like a guy like an Andy Johnson that, that played back in our day and would throw the halfback option pass. Yeah, he for a period he had thrown, he had only thrown like five passes in his career. They were all for touchdown passes, right? It was something crazy like that. Right. The yeah. the Andy Johnson, the third down back, I think during the Sam Cunningham days. Sure. That that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you've acquitted yourself well, of course, Bob. So, forgive me, but did I hear you say you were a photographer at one point? Yeah, so I'm in this room looking up all these obscure stats, and Stacy James comes into this room and says, the NFL is looking for people that are really serious about statistics. You know how to use a camera? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, a little bit. He says, well, we're going to hire you and a few other guys, and we're gonna, you're going to take pictures for the NFL. And for 13 years, I would be outside on the third level, either on top of the scoreboard, 150 feet up where the lighthouse is, on the roof, standing on a piece of plywood, or over where the banners used to be. Mm-hmm. And we would take pictures so that we could identify every player on every play. Oh. So I would take three, four, five pictures per play. And then a guy would come in and take my disc and put it in the computer. And they would look at the pictures from my camera and the other guy's camera in the other end zone. And with about an hour after the game, they would have looked at all 170, 180 plays and identify all 22 players on every play. Why wow. would take about a thousand pictures during the game? Well, why why did that need to be done? Why couldn't that be done with video? They're doing it now with video, but okay. they didn't back then. Okay. So when when you find out he was on twenty seven percent of the offensive plays or seventy two percent, those statistics came from what we call player participation. Mm. So we did that for thirteen years with manual pictures for them to identify the starting lineups and all that type of thing. Now they do that with video been replaced by uh, video, but that was the way they did it. And and these, what years did you work for the Pats? 2005 to 2018. Okay. So was, and was this, this collection of these photos of a, a, a Belichick thing, something he invented, or is that common around the league at the time? Do you... Actually, it was part of the NFL. Every team has their home oh. crew. So there would be four of us, two on the computer and two outside taking pictures. And every team had their home crew we had some backup people if we couldn't make it and did you enjoy did you enjoy it or was, did you enjoy it or was it tedious it was a blast really it, yeah, a little bit especially if they went in by two touchdowns you say run the ball run the ball let's run the clock right. let's get out of here you know? <laughs> right and there was some, there was some tough games that you know that it was 15 degrees and i'm in three levels and i got heat warmers in my hands because you got to manually use the, the button on the camera uh, every three or four or five seconds. Uh, there was one time at an Arizona game in 2009 or 2010 that it's raining and snowing and sleeting and I'm on the top of the scoreboard and there's no one there to take out the disc of my camera so I got to take my gloves off and take the disc out, put another desk in because everything's timed and at the end of the first quarter after you know taking my gloves off and loading it up for the second quarter my 
first finger is gone. It's frozen. So then I'm working my second finger and then that's gone. Then I'm working the thumb. And then I finally had to call someone and said, my, my fingers are frozen because I exposed them for four seconds to the elements. And someone had to come in and replace me to take the pictures for the rest of the game because it was gone. There's always one or so that's an experience. Yeah, that's yeah, there's, there's, and God bless you for doing, taking one for the team. Your, your digits that is. And there's always one or two games per season where it's like negative seven degrees or something. I, I do remember the, the one game was, I think it was either the AFC championship game or just preceding that we played the Titans. I want to say with Steve McNair, oh, yeah, I want to yeah. say, and, and that game was just brutally cold. And I don't know if you were out there for that game, but if you were, then God bless you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and open. I was at the game standing yep. in a in a uh, sleeping bag. Okay. <laughs> so I wasn't working that game, but you know they allowed you to bring in blankets, and we actually we didn't sit the whole game. It was so exciting, but uh, we stood in a, and I had some Uzi, some <laughs> little alcohol, and some uh, plastic bags to, to get us through the, the game. So that was all right too. <laughs> you need to, yeah. I could write a book on ways to sneak booze into places, but that's another podcast for another day. The book, once again, yeah, is yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, 2002. Relive Patriots History, Bob Hilberg. And by the way, if you don't mind me giving out your email address, historianbob at hotmail.com is where you can email Bob with Patriots questions. He also has a book called Total Patriots that came out in 2009, available on Amazon. And Relive Patriots History is the new book. And by the time you listen to this podcast, it's probably available everywhere. But find Bob on social media and all that. In a moment, as per promised, we'll play a round of Wicked Smart, do a little bit of Patriots trivia. I really don't think I'm going to uh, stump Bob knowing what I know now, but we'll give it a shot. Before we do that, let me tell you what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is where you go if you want your own podcast. We'll produce the whole thing soup to nuts from start to finish. We'll send you out a quality USB microphone. You can do the whole thing out of your home. We've been doing a remote podcast for a long time now. We're quite good at it. And a podcast is a great way to connect with your clients, your customers, people you want to do business with, or if it's just for fun, go to pod617.com to get started. Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network, in pod we trust. All right, let's play Wicked Smart. Play the intro, Dave. Come on. That's smart. My boy's wicked smart. All right. Can I stump the Pats expert? We'll see. I've got a list here compiled i don't know when no yes i do it was compiled in oh it was just just compiled just last week by paul perillo of patriots.com and it's a piece he calls when it comes to numbers who wore it best so he's he's ranked by uniform number the best at each number and i'll give you the number and then i'll give you a hint as to who um now we'll start with i'll start numerically number one you can probably guess it's kind of obvious well, I mean, Cam Newton is probably right up there, but Tony Franklin. <laughs> he does mention Tony Franklin, but Cam Newton is uh, is the one he selected yeah. as the best, even though he's Cam Newton's only played in obviously a few games. He wrote this before Sunday's debacle. But anyway, here's one. How about we go right to number two? This was this guy was a kicker of some sort from 1975 to 1978. War number two. 75 to 78, huh? David Posey. No, no. I, I said kicker of some sort. He's not. He wasn't a place kicker. Oh, Mike Patrick. Mike Patrick's right. Yes. 
I remember, yeah, as a kid, the first two kickers I remember were John Smith and, and Mike Patrick. I thought they were the only two that mattered. And I thought John Smith was the best kicker in the league because he led the league in scoring. He wasn't necessarily the best kicker in the league. Anyway, all right. Who, who would be selected for the best to wear? Number seven was a, a starter for the Patriots from 1991 to 92. Number seven. He didn't win many of the games he started, says Paul Perillo, but he did provide some excitement on some otherwise wretchedly moribund teams. He was a cute. Was it Hugh Mellon? It was Hugh Mellon. Very good. Very good. By the way, number guy to one, number seven was a Heisman Trophy winner, John Hewitt, who was pretty bad. But uh, he only played three games back in the 60s, so there's a few Heisman Trophies. All right, I'm the quiz master here, Bob. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) it's funny you mentioned david posey because he appears on this list uh, as the best to adorn number nine for the patriots and i do remember him kicking the winning field goal that sent us to the afc east title in 1978 i was there that day mold you you and me both number 10 wearing number 10 this slot receiver was a valuable pickup in 2006 stuck around long enough for 85 catches and eight touchdowns you know who that is number 10 number 10 hassan graham no, gotcha. <laughs> Jabbar Gaffney. He was kind of underrated Gaffney. for a little while. Yeah. Number 13. What Patriot wore number 13? He wasn't, he's a, he was a wideout. Wasn't always a huge factor, but generally produced when called upon in, in recent years, actually. I think he's this guy just recently departed the Patriots like two years ago, maybe. Number 13. Yes. Uh, I know we had a guy, R.C. Gamble, back in number 13. How many guys have won number 13? <laughs> Gotcha on that one. Philip Dorsett wore oh, number. Dorsett. Yeah, oh, of course. That's right. Yeah. How about this one? He wore number 16, a QB not named so- not named Scott Solak. There you go. Another Heisman Trophy winner from Stanford, Jim Plunkett. Jim Plunkett's right. That's right. Yeah. That was back in the days when in Boston sports, you just watched players receive championship trophies either before or after they played for our teams. Right. So so Plunkett went and won two won two Super Bowls? Chip Super Hug, Bowl yeah, with the Raiders. The Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Now for the uniform number eighteen, believe it or not, Paul Perillo did not select special teams captain Matthew Slater. He picked this diminutive pro- productive receiver that Jim Plunkett used to throw the ball to war number 18 for the Patriots. Well, he was, when he was in college at Stanford, he was bashful in the, the dwarfs. He was a costume oh, guy that... at, at Stanford, the Randy the Rabbit Fataha. That's right, Randy yeah. Fataha. Very good. I remember he came and spoke at my temple when I was a kid. <laughs> Who knows why? Number 26, defensive back, Patriots Hall of Famer, played at a high. You got that one? Sure, Raymond Claiborne. Raymond Claiborne is right, yeah. And fight with Will McDonough one time. That, yeah, that's right. And among others, I imagine, got in a fight with old Willie. But, but yeah, Claiborne, for a while, we had like six or seven All-Pros on our defense. We still, yeah. couldn't, we still couldn't make it to the Super Bowl except for that one year with 85, right, with, with Grogan right. and Eason. But, but Claiborne and... And later on, Tippett, but Steve Nelson and Sugar Bear Hamilton. And, geez, those were great teams. Here's one. There aren't a lot of Patriots players who have worn number 27, but this one did win the cornerback battle over Ron Bolton 
who was a starter in the early to mid-1970s. Anyway, this guy was a defensive back. This says 70s. I remember this guy playing a little bit later on, but any guesses on 27? 27. Doug Bedoin, or who's 27? No, that's a good guess. But... Mm. El- Ellis Hobbs. Didn't oh, El- Ellis Hobbs. Yeah, Ellis Hobbs, yeah. Here's a guy, I used, to... man, yeah. Here's a guy I l- used to love to watch. Number 29. He wore he wore number twenty nine. Obviously, he was a wide out. Yeah. Late. You know who it was? Yeah, Harold Hollywood Jackson. Harold Jackson. Yeah. Now there was <laughs> he, he actually had like nineteen yards per per reception. He he had a good couple of years with us. For and it was him on one side and Stanley Morgan on the other side, and it was like pick your poison. And those guys seemed to score. We still weren't a great team, but we were we were at least a winning team. In and that was like. Uh, 77, not, maybe not so much 78, but, and just an electric passing assault. And to the point where they wrote a theme song about Harold Jackson. You don't remember that, do you? No. They wrote, I was in the stadium once and they, they, they wrote this song called Jackson's Union Jack. And okay, it was, I do remember that. No, yeah, it's like Jackson's Union Jack is going to try, 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 and we're going to make it to the top. And like they handed out these hankies that everybody would wear that you, the NFL fans used to do silly things in the seventies and like, so, so, but it, it did not catch on. It was, it was kind of a strange, strange thing, but Harold Jackson used to stand in the end zone, like during TV timeouts and he would just stand there and look to the crowd and kind of implore the crowd to start talking, to start cheering. And at one point I remember the crowd on their feet, just screaming just because Harold Jackson was going, come on, y'all, come on, y'all. <laughs> Really fun player to watch. We'll do a few more here. Let's see. Number 37, and Paul Perillo says, another potential recently recency bias alert. It's not Maurice Hurst, so, but it is someone who played defensive backfield and ended one Super Bowl memorably in a sling. Do you know who this is, number 37? 37. That's not Rodney Harrison. It is Rodney Harrison. Yes, yes, yeah. He remember he he broke his arm in the yeah yeah that's right in two thousand and two when the Carolina through this unlikely set of circumstances where Jake Delhomme turned into Johnny Unitas for about fifteen minutes and just went bonkers and and if we hadn't gone down and kicked that field goal I felt like we were going to lose because they were just torching us but. Troy Brown made a great catch at the end, and, and the Patriots win. The good guys win. Number 38, this guy was a defensive back in the 80s, and his wife runs a very good daycare center in Sharon where both of my kids attended. Oh. He, he, he joined Fred Marion to make up one of the best safety tandems in football throughout the 80s, number 38 for the Patriots. Tim Fox? No, no, yeah. sorry. Looking for Roland James, who oh, was, sure yeah. Right. Sadly, he was he was also mentioned in that article written in the Globe about the drug use on the Patriots, the pervasive yeah. drug use. Man, those were we couldn't even enjoy the Super Bowl for one day in in let's see early probably early 1986 because yeah. they had you remember that whole thing they had they had held out the Globe had held the story till after the Super Bowl about the right. drug use. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, Roland James, Irvin Fryer, Tony Collins, a bunch of them now. All right. We'll give you uh Roland had three interceptions in one quarter of the game. Did he really? 
I asked him one time, he says, Joe Ferguson just kept throwing it to me and I kept catching it. You know? <laughs> so I wasn't joking when I said the the James are well known in Sharon for running a just a great daycare center and Roland's wife, Carmel, is just a lovely woman. And I've talked to Roland a few times over the years. Super nice guy. Very very soft-spoken, just kind of a charming guy. Number 43 was was not worn by many Patriots, but there's a running back in the 70s who was drafted to much acclaim. And he, he has an unusual first name that reckons a very exciting city in the United States. That's the worst clue I've ever given. Vegas Ferguson. Vegas Ferguson, right. We got That's there. Well, Very yeah. good. From Notre Dame. Yeah. Yep. And finally, we'll end on this one because I've got a story to go along. But number 53 was a linebacker in the 80s and probably the 90s, maybe even more than 90s. Underrated pass rushing skills. He wore number 53. Ring a bell. 53. Clayton Wysoon? No, he's 53 no, he, this guy came after Clayton Wysoon. Played played alongside Andre Tippett, I think, for many years. But Johnny Rembert, uh, Johnny Blackman, uh, those are different. Fifty five, fifty three. Uh, Andy Katzenmoyer. No, <laughs> these are all great guesses. No, Chris, Chris Slade. We were looking for Chris Slade. Oh, Chris Slade. Yeah, oh, sure. I saw him after he got. He, he got uh, shipped off to a different team after the Pats. I don't I remember. Carolina yeah. yeah, yeah, Carolina, you're right. And I remember shortly after there, I saw him. He must have still had a home in town because he was outside the Dunkin' Donuts in Canton, Mass. And I saw, I was driving by in my car, and I was like in the parking lot, and I rolled down my window and I said, hey, 53, we miss you. And he said, thank you much, man. I appreciate that. So, Chris Slade, you're okay in my book. But, Bob, you did so very, very – go ahead, Bob. Sorry. I think he was the guy that was living in Marina Bay in Quincy, and he bought a grill, and he put propane you – no, know, he bought the, the, the liquid fluids, For, right. put in a propane grill, yep. and it caught on fire. <laughs> that that could be. I mean – And uh, Ty Law was there, and the police showed up, and he's like, I used the wrong lighter fluid for my propane grill. <laughs> Well, that's funny because linebackers usually are known for their intelligence. I shouldn't say that. Football players are smart. I once I once heard Don Hasselbeck speak at a school, and I stood up and I asked him, are football players dumb or, or, or not? And he gave me a look that was not too kind. So, well, well done on the quiz, Bob Hilbert. Next time you have on, we'll, we'll continue on with the 50s and 60s and 70s i always i like i like uniform numbers because it's just it helps you picture the player and everything but in football more than anything else because you you barely ever see their uh faces unless you're russ francis who always took his helmet off because he thought he had such lovely hair so again the book relive patriots history by bob hilberg and i hope you had fun thank you for joining us any anything else people should know about the the book bob Uh, give us a, a little i mean i'm just sort of presuming that the book is what it purports to be about Patriots history, but give us uh, 30 seconds on what it's all about and what will we be surprised? Will we be delighted? What kind of stuff is in there? Well, there's a lot of that. I mean, the uniform numbers are in there. I mean, there's so many that's in my head. There's 1,268 players that have played for the game. Oh, So I have the bio of all 1,268 players. Oh, my goodness. Okay. so it's, I have everything. I mean, they have the height, the weight, where they were born, the date of birth, their nickname. 
And if they had anything that they ever did, like he, Chris Slade had a certain amount of sacks, I have every single one of wow. the names of the throwbacks that he sacked. You know? So it's like really like an uber almanac of, of Patriots. Well, that's well, one section of the well, book. Just, and then I, all, okay. you know, I have top tens, all the top ten lists of the top ten, whatever. Mm. Top ten kickoff returns without, without scoring a touchdown, oh. all different kind of obscure things like that. Every pass completed by a left-handed person. Wow. I love it. I can't wait to read it. Five coldest, the five windiest, the five warmest games. All the games are on TV and who the uh, TV announcers were, where they played the games, going back to Fenway Park and Braves Field and all that type of thing. So there's all kind of different things. And there's stories like the Bob Gladio quick story that I did. uh, I love it. And stuff like that. Nicknames. uh, There's probably 10 pages of nicknames. But the uniform numbers is kind of spread out of all the different players. Guys that played on offense and defense. Wes Welker was another guy that, you know, kicked off with the Patriots. All those obscure things like the Steve Zabel thing I mentioned. So if you went to a game and you want to look up and remember something obscure that happened, this book has 464 pages of obscure stuff. I love it, man. I can't, I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I thought I knew a lot about the Patriots and I thought I loved them. Jeez, in the, in the 90s, when it seemed a, a sure deal that they were going to move to Connecticut, you must have been, like, ready to jump off the Tobin Bridge, Bob. You must have been pretty upset. Well, even going to St. Louis was another thing, too. Oh, that was but a thing, we, right. Yeah. You know, but you, you kind of knew. I mean, my inside sources said that it was a deal. Kraft was willing to pay the million dollars to, to put leverage on getting the, the roads and, and the infrastructure for Gillette Stadium. And he built Gillette Stadium with his own money, so... There's always wheeling and dealing and stuff. I wasn't too unhappy that uh, they were going to go there because people would still go to Connecticut to watch the game. I mean, we got people that drive six, seven hours. Uh, I met three women from Nantucket who've been going for games for 30 years, and they're in their 70s and 80s, and they take two days to get here. You know, oh, they got to take the ferry and spend the night at the hotel, and they're in, and it's three of them, not their husbands. Steve Buckley wrote about them in 2005, and I've had a chance to get to meet them, and we've done book signings down in Nantucket. They've just been sweet to us. Wow, uh, Joan, Jane, and Jay. We love our we love our Pats. Yeah. By the way, something you meant before we go, I'll just tell you. So, because of all the obscure stuff you mentioned, and you mentioned players that have played on offense and defense, which brings to mind, I think I've maybe come up with a good trivia question of my own, but I'm not sure I'm correct. Right. This this guy might be the only guy to have caught a touchdown pass from a player. And then later in his career, intercepted a pass thrown by the same player. So I bet you know who that is. Yeah, and uh, a lot of these guys have similar nicknames. I mean, not nicknames, initials rather. So there's a lot of uh, my trivia have the TB as their initials. Right. <laughs> so okay. So you're not even so going to say it. You're being coy yeah. with me, but you know it's it's Troy Brown who. Caught, right. caught touchdown passes from many from Brady, but a few from Drew Bledsoe as well. And then later when Bledsoe was on the Bills or the, oh, or the, yeah, the Bills, yeah. He, yeah, he intercepted a pass and celebrated and later said, I, I wish I hadn't celebrated that much because I realized it was Drew. I, can you imagine, do you think there's another player in NFL history who's, who's done that? That's no, a, but I, I have better trivia question for Troy Brown though. Okay. Roy Brown is the only Patriots player to catch a, a touchdown pass, mm-hmm. a quarterback, a running back, 
a wide receiver, and a kicker. Oh my! So he's started from four different positions. Uh, so obviously, Bledsoe and Brady threw him touchdown passes. Who's the running back that threw it to him? Uh, and that goes back to '95. Kevin Falk, maybe. Uh, David Meggett. Dave Meggett. Okay, right. Obscure. And then the other guy who was the wide receiver, his first name was Dave. Otherwise, it was David. David he Givens. David Patton, actually. Oh, damn it. David All right. Patton. <laughs> and then the kicker is someone we've mentioned earlier, number four. Flo- uh, automatic. No, automatic Adam. Adam oh. From a kicker, a wide receiver, a running back, and a quarterback. Four different positions. Troy Brown has got a touchdown pass from. Yeah. In a way, he, he, with apologies to Tom Brady and many others, he, he may be the most beloved Patriot of all time because even before, he, even if he hadn't been a great player, which in spurts he was the best player on the field, right. maybe maybe here, maybe for a game here or there, but for most, he was a role player. And I just remember Gil Santos always used to say, Troy Brown is a football player. He just, just he, he just his instincts. He, he was always in the right place. And whether the in San Diego saving the game by stripping that dude after he right. cut, cut the interception that should have sealed the game, or yeah. blocking the kick in Pittsburgh that sent us to the Super Bowl in um, lateraling it, to, and, and, and right because he knew he was faster. Yeah, or even that eighty-two yep. yard overtime touchdown reception to beat Miami down there. You know. Yeah. Uh, I remember that because it was the day after the the Red Sox blew the the Aaron Boone game, but the I'll I'll, I'll leave you with this, and maybe you have one. The, the one of the great things about being a Patriots fan for so long is you can remember these little obscure moments. And my favorite Patriots play to have witnessed it in person that was kind of inconsequential in the big scheme of things was a punt return for a touchdown by Stanley Morgan and. The reason I remember is because he caught it, he bobbled it, and started running almost literally backwards, like the, the almost the wrong way. He was backtracking to try to avoid the defense, but he had to go from, in my memory, it was like he, he fumbled it at the 20 and went back to the goal line and, and then managed to reverse directions and... Some some small like undersized patriot took out some huge guy, made a key block, and Morgan starts running. All of a sudden, now he's on the sidelines. Now he reverses field. Now he and he ran it. He ran for a touchdown that was in the books at, at like an eighty yarder, but he he really ran about one hundred and eighty yards. <laughs> and uh, I imagine a lot of those type weird plays are probably chronicled in your in your book. I have some sections there about fumbles and guys that have recovered their own fumble. And that usually what happens. I mean, Dave Meggett was returning a kick and he fumbled and Roy Brown picked it up and took it in for a touchdown. Nice. You know, so guys that fumbled and then somebody advanced it. Randy Vitaha returned a fumble by Minnie Mac Heron for a touchdown. You know, those kind of things. Pick Johnny. it up and off it goes. Those kind of obscure things are in there. I got interceptions of plays that t- tip the pass to themselves. Winsbrook, Wilflock. He tipped the pass up and they caught it and ran. So those kind of obscure things that. Wow. Uh, how know, many how many pages we, how many pages is this book? <laughs> I know I had tried to edit it down. Four hundred sixty four. Wow. Pages. Every page has something that you go back and say, oh, I got uh, something that brings it back and especially if it's a visual that you've seen it on TV numerous times or you were there. You know, right. like, yeah, he did. He topped up in the air and then he caught it again and. Well, I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. Relive Patriots history. Thanks for being such a good sport. Bob Hilberg, and don't worry about the Pats. They're still going to go 10-6. and six. I got a feeling about them. 
A Belichick team to be build. competitive. They got the defense to be competitive. They got the coaching, and it's going to take a while to get this going. But I really appreciate having me on, David, and we'll talk some more. And then maybe somewhere down the road, I'll have my own podcast. Wow. You just you just say the word. We'd be delighted to host it here at pod617.com. And thanks, Bob Hilberg. Once again, the book, Relive Patriots History. Please check it out. I know. I can't wait. If the Patriots suck this year, you got the book. I mean, you can't yeah. lose, people. You can't lose. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Pod617.com is where you go if you want your own podcast. Thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast. On behalf of Patriots historian Bob Hilberg, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, just a Pats fan. But if you're not, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Go Pats! Go Pats! (laughs) Thanks, baby.